Good morning and welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. I'm Rabbi Stephen Gart. Each week in synagogues throughout the Jewish world, a section of the five books of Moses, known in Hebrew as the Torah, is read. This section is known as the Parashah Hashavuah, the weekly section. And these weekly sections have been determined by tradition going back more than 1,500 years. And so you would find wherever you are in the Jewish world, basically the same selection of the Torah portion being read and discussed. This week's Torah portion comes from the fourth book of the Torah, the book of Numbers as it's identified in English, Bamidbar in Hebrew. It begins with number 16, starting right at the beginning, and continues through Numbers 18, verse 32. Let me give you a synopsis of this fascinating Torah portion before we enter into some uh, conversation with our guest, Rabbi Neil Borovitz. Korach, who we will identify later, incites a mutiny challenging Moses' leadership and the granting of the Kahuna priesthood to Aaron. In this mutiny is accompanied by Moses' inveterate foes, Datan and Abiram. Joining them are 250 distinguished members of the community who offer the sacrosanct Katorit incense to prove their worthiness for the priesthood. In response to this mutiny, the earth opens up and swallows the mutineers, and a fire consumes the Katorit offerers. A subsequent plague is stopped by Aaron's offering of Katorit. Aaron's staff miraculously blossoms and bring forth almonds to prove that his designation as high priest is divinely ordained. God commands that a terumah, an uplifting from each crop of grain, wine, and oil, as well as all firstborn sheep and cattle, and other specified gifts be given to the Kohanim, the priests. This is a very brief synopsis of a very challenging portion. With me this morning is Rabbi Neil Borovitz, who was elected the Rabbi Emeritus of Temple Avodat Shalom in River Edge, New Jersey, in June 2013, after serving that synagogue as rabbi for the previous 24 years. Prior to assuming his position in River Edge in the summer of 1988, Rabbi Borovitz served as a Hillel rabbi and instructor in biblical and religious studies at the University of Texas in Austin, and he was the executive director of the Labor Zionist Alliance in the United States and served as the rabbi of Union Temple in Brooklyn, New York. Rabbi Borovitz is a native of Cleveland, Ohio, and received his BA from Vanderbilt University and, and his MA and rabbinic ordination from Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. 
He is the past president of the Bergen County Board of Rabbis and the North Jersey Board of Rabbis, as well as the founding chairman of the Jewish Learning Project of Bergen County. He is a frequent contributor to the Jewish Standard and the Bergen Record and a frequent lecturer on Judaism, the Middle East, and interfaith cooperation. It is a pleasure to uh, welcome as my guest, Rabbi Neil Borovitz. Welcome to Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts. Thank you. It's it's wonderful to be with you again and to, to talk Torah as we've done for 50 years. That is true. Rabbi Borovitz and I were ordained in the same class at Hebrew Union College. And for these almost 50 years, we have been talking Torah with each other. So the Torah portion that we want to unpack this morning is just filled with interesting dynamics. And the Torah portion does begin with this mutiny or rebellion of Korah. So perhaps we should uh, read a little bit to our listeners so they get a feel for the biblical text before we try and identify the various parts of it. So this is from Numbers 16.1, and it reads, Now Korah, son of Izar, son of Kohat, son of Levi, betook himself along with Datan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and On, son of Pelet, descendants of Reuben, to rise up against Moses together with 250 Israelites. They combined against Moses and Aaron, said to them, You have gone too far, for all the community are holy, all of them, and the Lord is in their midst. Why then do you raise yourselves above the Lord's congregation? So what is this argument all about, Rabbi Borovitz? Well, uh, <clears throat> one of the questions is, first of all, Korach is a cousin of Moses and Aaron. And he's arguing he should be, he should be in power, not, not them. It's one of many rebellions that we find uh, throughout this book of Numbers. Uh, this book of that, that in Hebrew is called Bamidbar, as you mentioned, in the wilderness. During this wilderness journey, uh, things don't go so smooth. And even this first generation of Israelites who had experienced the exodus from Egypt had been present at the revelation at Mount Sinai. They too, when things go bad, their their faith gets challenged. And we find throughout this book a series of rebellions. This rebellion uh, is not only one of the most serious uh, and devastating of these rebellions, but it seems to be without cause, without without practical cause. Korach isn't complaining about the priesthood or the laws. He's not even complaining, as we find other places, about a lack of water uh, or food. He just says, Moses, Aaron, you've been in power. It's time for me to be in power. He doesn't say anything about what he's going to do differently, etc. He makes an alliance uh, with uh, Datan and Abiram, uh, who are... Uh, Reubenites, they're the, they're the uh, descendants of Reuben. 
Reuben was Jacob's firstborn. And in most ancient societies, and it carries over into uh, the contemporary world when you look at the, uh, the English monarchy, if you will, it's always the firstborn uh, who succeeds to power. Uh, so it was normal that the firstborn uh, son, in particular in the ancient world, uh, would inherit the leadership. Uh, throughout the Bible, it's never the firstborn son. Uh, that uh, Abraham's firstborn was Ishmael, it's Isaac who inherits. Isaac's firstborn is Esau, it's Jacob that inherits. Jacob's uh, firstborn is Reuben. Ultimately, here we find Moses, uh, a Levite, uh, being the leader, but earlier on we saw that Joseph gets the double portion. Uh, so there's, it's an anti-primogeniture. Meanwhile, we, so we, we find here a number of different uh, rebellions that may have been co combined together. Gunther Plout in the reform movement's uh, Torah Modern Commentary uh, suggests that the, the, this account here in, uh, in numbers 16 to 18 is actually a composite of four different revolts against Moses and Aaron. And the Korah, one, not only because it's the first and it, his name gets attached to it, is the most devastating. And it seems as if it's, it's not about principle, but about power. And there's a wonderful passage that we find from 1,800 years ago. So uh, some uh, 1,400 or 1,500 years after the, Moses, after the story of the Exodus uh, takes place uh, in the Mishnah, which is the codification of rabbinic law uh, around 200 of the Christian era. Uh, and in a chapter called Avot, uh, this, the fathers, Pirkei Avot, uh, known as Ethics of the Fathers, uh, we find in chapter five there that it says, every controversy that's for the sake of heaven shall lead to a lasting result. That any controversy that's not for God's sake shall not stand up. And they give examples. What was a controversy for the sake of heaven? They're saying controversies over uh, law and practice and customs uh, between the schools of Hillel and Shammai, the two great uh, leaders of, uh, of Jewish law and life in the generation before Jesus. And which controversy was not for God's sake? They say is the controversy that we have in our Torah portion here that controversy that was created by Korah and his followers. So Korah, who um, is, if the Torah is to be believed, is of the tribe of Levi, but his lineage um, and his father's lineage was excluded from the priesthood. Have I got that right? Right. They so, weren't in the priesthood, but they were part of the Levitical tribe that did have leadership power and did have certain privileges. Uh, they were, they really were the communal, uh, the public service uh, class uh, in the wilderness and later throughout biblical, the uh, biblical period of the, the two temples. But 
So Korach is really saying, the job that I have is not the job that I want. I want somebody else's job. I want Aaron's job, and I want the job that his sons have, which is to be identified as the religious leaders of this community um, in a substantive way. And Datan and Abiru are saying they don't want to be religious leaders. They think that communal secular leadership should descend through the tribe of Reuben, who was Jacob's firstborn. Two very different uh, mutinies, two very different set of complaints, one religious and one secular. Um, and then, and of course, in the Torah portion, Moses and Aaron uh, emerge from this uh, victorious. And Aaron's position is affirmed as uh, high priest and his son's positions as the uh, uh, descendants of the high priest. But in the Mishnah that you quote, known as a vote, what was the precipitant for that conversation about arguments? Why did they think that was important? Well, they thought it was important uh, because uh, we should have discussions. There, there shouldn't we, we shouldn't look for uh, unanimity of opinion. We should find a way to respectfully discuss our differences, uh, and that uh, and that's that's really what uh, rabbinic Judaism uh, was is all about. So in the Mishnah and the Talmud and throughout generations for, for, uh, for the last two millennia, there's been uh, controversies between different groups of Jews and uh, different schools, different communities over the actual, the contemporary application of a Torah verse to practical life uh, and both the ritual and the ethical and moral spheres. And uh, so the question is, when is that legitimate? And when does, when does petty partisanship uh, take over? In other words, uh, is, is somebody, uh, am I arguing with you uh, because we have a principal difference on an, on, a, on an issue? Or am I arguing with you because I want to be top dog and I'm not happy that, that you are? Uh, so that's that's one of the uh, I, th I think the one of the underlying questions. And by the way, we've seen this in other religious uh, traditions too, where you'll find uh, controversies. Uh, you know, in the medieval period, there were uh, a number of times when in the Catholic Church uh, there were uh, alternative popes appointed, and it wasn't about uh, they weren't doctrinal doctrinal issues that divided them. It was. You know, who is going to control the power? Who is going to have a chance to appoint, appoint leadership? Who is going to have control of resources? Uh, and that was true. It's been true in uh, every faith community and every political community. And this Mishnah uh, points out that that's the most important lesson to learn.
It wasn't that somehow we were going to have a, and we, we wind up, you know, Aaron, Aaron does have a hereditary leadership that continues through, uh, through the times of the first and second temple. But when the second temple was destroyed 2000 years ago, uh, the Aaronites have no role uh, in, uh, in, in the running of uh, their, in the running of Jewish life. Uh, and a matter of fact, the rabbis who wrote this uh, passage from Pirkei Avot were already people who uh, had established that leadership passes from teacher to student. It's not hereditary. It's not bio- biological. So uh, they had think- already made in the second century after the birth of Jesus uh, the rabbis of this document known as the Mishnah were aware of the history of um, tension among different uh, religious perspectives. They certainly were aware of the challenges that the Bar Kokhba revolt in about 125 uh, led to for the Jewish people where some rabbis uh, supported another revolt against Rome, and other rabbis were opposed to it. Um, and as the rabbis were writing that arguments for the sake of heaven would lead to um, a worthy result, how does one define both in antiquity and then in modernity an argument for the sake of heaven? Because don't usually both parties think that they're arguing uh, for the sake of heaven? Well, somebody wants to participate in our dialogue. I'm sorry. Didn't know it was still on. Uh, Do they? Yes, certainly that's what people claim. But when... uh, uh, what's the difference? The difference, to me at least, uh, am I arguing about a principled uh, issue or am I trying to uh, achieve power uh, and control over others? Uh, I think that that's, that's one of the issues. It's certainly the contemporary issue, uh, I, I think, in world politics today. Uh, when we see, you know, when different political parties, be they uh, in Canada or the United States or Israel or any uh, in Western Europe, uh, are they sometimes the parties in elections are arguing over legitimate di- uh, disagreements over policy, and sometimes it's really uh, I just want to throw that bum out because. Uh, it's my turn to uh, to lead, and I think that that's that. That to me is, by the way, the great danger of uh, in uh, to democracy. Great challenge to democracy in the world today. Uh, are we are we arguing over issues of principle? Uh, do we accept uh, the same constitution, whether it be the Bible uh, in, in 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 Judeo Christian tradition? Uh, and is that the text we accept as uh, as basic and we can argue over how we interpret it? Uh, or do I want to just say, if I've got power, you know, might makes right. 
And Korach in raising this whole army in many ways is a paradigm for a guy who thought might makes right. Well, uh, Putin I, I today mean, in uh, Ukraine is a guy who says might makes right. He's not arguing good. You know, he just says, I got the power and you all should be ruled by me. But if we look deeply into this, we realize that you are absolutely correct. Um, Mr. Putin, the leader of uh, the country known as Russia, um, is invading a country purely for the sake of power. But there are arguments, both in the United States and in other countries, in which um, people do have principled positions. Um, so let's take the most obvious one in the United States, and that's the argument of abortion. Um, there are people who would argue from a religious perspective that uh, abortion is antithetical to a religious life. There are people who would argue that their perspective on religion uh, allows abortion. Both parties um, would say that they are arguing for the sake of heaven. Right. Um, Thanks. Because this is a great example. And in America, in the United States, uh, I'm not. In our Constitution, the First Amendment to the Constitution guarantees freedom of religion. And the fundamental uh, point on the abortion issue to me is uh, I don't think abortion should be mandatory. Uh, I don't think it should be uh, prohibited either because different people have different views on when life begins, different faith communities. Both Judaism and Islam uh, say that uh, the life of actual life, the life of a mother, takes precedence over potential life, the life uh, of, of a fetus. That a fetus is not actual life, it's only potential life. It has value. But if there is a, uh, a danger to the health uh, and, uh, and life of a, of a mother, and that can be meant... Uh, defined uh, both as psychological or mental or physical danger, uh, then the fact is that both Islamic law and Jewish law say that abortion is actually required. You can't, uh, you can't favor a potential life over an actual life. The Catholic Church has a very different point of view. Uh, they believe that life begins at conception, that ensoulment takes place, and that, uh, therefore, uh, that that fetus is an actual life, uh, and therefore, uh, they have a different perspective. I think that civil society, in uh, a, in a democratic society, we should allow people to have legitimate differences uh, over uh, issues. Uh, that are faith-based, uh, and the free exp- to the the free expression of uh, religious tradition means that uh, I have to let people who believe that uh, uh, 
that life begins at conception. And even if it's uh, if carrying this fetus uh, uh, determination results in the death of the mother, uh, they can't do anything. And there should be no mental, medical interference. So, uh, so and I also have to think that the other the other side uh, uh, holds true as well. What we so find in a, in, in a secular yeah. society, Rabbi, you, you notice in the Torah portion that Moses and God are the ultimate authority, right. and that. Um, the Torah seems to suggest that neither Korach nor his followers uh, are arguing for the sake of heaven. Uh, and that there is legitimacy in Moses and God. Uh, Aaron is fairly much sidelined in terms of responding to all of this. Um, Moses and God take a very punitive approach in order to affirm the divine decision about uh, what is uh, appropriate religious leadership. The challenge, though, in a secular society with multiple religious perspectives is can those multiple religious perspectives live in harmony? Or is there within a secular society, the need for one value system to be in ascendancy. Uh, at the moment, it appears that in the United States, there is the belief that one value system should be in ascendancy. Uh, and that value system is that as defined by the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, that those people who believe that abortion is evil, their values are more important than anybody else's. Um, using the Mishnah as a mirror, would we say that that is about power or is that about uh, L'Shem Shemayim? Well, I think it's about power. And the reason I say this is that uh, when you look uh, at the rest of that uh, chapter from Avot, uh, we find, uh, and, and in the commentaries, uh, in a commentary called Avot Rabbi Natan, which is a commentary on that uh, Mishnah from a couple hundred years later, uh, that one of the things that characterized Hillel and Shammai is they had different opinions on, there was only 18 times when Shammai's view was accepted over Hillel's view. Uh, Hillel was the majority leader, and Shammai was the minority leader. So there was a sense of that democracy, but they respected each other. So the point uh, that uh, they made, a, the rabbis note that Hillel and Shammai, even though they differed with each other uh, on fundamental issues of interpretation of, uh, of Torah law as it evolved into a new post-biblical world, uh, they still... Uh, sat together at the same tables. <laughs> they would share meals. They would marry into each other's clans. So they accepted the legitimacy of each other. I think that one of the, the great challenges we have in our world today uh, is uh, the alienation and the, the certainty that the only way I can 
lift myself up is by pushing you down. I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I encourage our listeners, if they so wish, to look at that section of Pirkei Avot, Chapter 5, that Rabbi Berkovich uh, Borovitz has uh, discussed, um, and familiarize themselves with the argument of uh, argument for the sake of heaven. I want to thank my guest, Rabbi Neil Borovitz, uh, Rabbi Emeritus, um, and to uh, thank my listeners. This is the last uh, live show for this season, and I appreciate all of your support as all of your feedback. For Jewish Faith and Jewish Facts, I'm Rabbi Stephen Garten. You can hear a recording as a podcast on iTunes or on the chri.ca website. Shalom and have a good day. Shalom.